0: everlasting your light will shine when all else fades you guys love that song i love that song i was thinking as we sang that song about um a line from eugene peterson's the message translation of the bible you guys know this translation of the bible just the bible in modern language and he says in ephesians or he translates paul in ephesians to say the church is not peripheral to the world the world is peripheral to the church And I was thinking, yeah, the church is everlasting because the light of Christ is here with us. And uh, I think that's a pretty powerful thing to sing about. Like the story that we're living, the story of God does not end, does not end. We're actually going to talk about that a little bit today and um, specifically how that plays out in the life of a church. How that plays out through the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of a church, um, we're going to be in the book of Acts, like we have been, and we're going to be in Acts chapter six. So, if you have a Bible, you're going to want to open it, or turn it on, or scroll through it to Acts chapter six. Um, and I'm actually, I'm really looking forward to Simon. Thank you, thank you for giving me this passage. Yeah, this is a great pass. I'm really excited about this chapter, um, and uh, I've been excited to look through the book of Acts uh, for a while. And uh, talk about all the different uh, ways that the spirit shows up, uh, and and this is uh, this this is something that Simon and I actually have been talking about for a long time. The first time I ever hung out with Simon, you guys want to know the first time I ever hung out with Simon? It was at a Taco Bell. Yeah, um, yeah, and uh, and and Simon, the the way we chose to go to Taco Bell, Simon had to come to see me in a play and was there with um, uh, the Rassies, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, the, the Rassies and Simon and I were gonna go out somewhere and somebody mentioned Taco Bell and Simon was like, I can get down with the bell. So, <laughs> so we went to Taco Bell and we're sitting there. And I don't think I'd been inside a Taco Bell for years before that, since, I don't think I've ever been inside a Taco Bell. Um, So we're sitting there in like, you know, the fluorescent lights and we're just talking about life. And Simon goes, you guys know what I've been thinking about lately? The spirit in the book of Acts. (laughs) And we're all like, cool, eating our burritos. Cool. Simon, tell us more. And Simon was talking about how uh, the spirit in the life of the church uh, seems to be just like Erupting all the time like if you read the book of acts, which is a story about the beginning of the church of Jesus This story that is everlasting that will continue that is central to the story of the world This story of jesus christ and his church Um, If you read the story of acts, which is the beginning of of the church, the spirit is appearing everywhere and, and like in weird ways, exciting ways, interesting ways, unusual ways, unexpected ways, subtle ways, the spirit is all over the book of Acts. And uh, so Simon was talking about like, cool, uh, what would it look like if we in our life as a church, as the people of God uh, had experienced the spirit in our day to day kind of like all over our, all over our lives, not just in these sort of spiritual moments or in a church service, what would it look like to live by the spirit so honestly, Simon, my whole friendship with you has been about living by the spirit, and i'm 'm very excited to to get to start preaching some of this. This is very exciting. So we are going to talk about Acts chapter 6. Let me pray for us before we read any scripture. Lord Jesus, by the power of your spirit, illuminate your word to us. Jesus, you are the living word, and I believe that you are present by the power of your spirit. Help us, Lord. Speak to our hearts. Reach the places in us that um, I have no access to. Jesus, would you just help us? Help us hear you. We love you. Amen. All right, let's start in verse one. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, we'll talk about who they are, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers and sisters, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and a bunch of other names. Verse six, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So the apostles uh, are, are getting some complaints. The apostles are the original 12, right, or 11 at this point disciples of Jesus who have been anointed to be, by the Spirit to be apostles. Um, and, uh, and if we look at Acts chapter 1, when Jesus promises the Spirit to them, he says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and it's for you to carry my message to the world. So the apostles, the word apostle actually means messenger. It's related to the word angel, which also means my messenger. It's about carrying a message into the world. So when the apostles say it's not right for us to give up preaching the word to wait at tables, they're not degrading, let's be clear, they're not degrading service. They're not saying it's less spiritual or less important to serve the poor. Absolutely not. What they're saying is we've been commissioned to do a specific thing, so we also need to find some people to do this specific thing. So um, that's, I think, important for us to understand. But, but, Right off the bat in the church, I love this, this is so encouraging to me, because so often I, I have said myself, and I hear folks say, I just want to go back to the early church, man. I just want to go back to the days of Acts, back to the beginning when it was all so like full of the Spirit and so exciting, and so uh, everyone was just like on mission together. And I love that um, that's sort of true for a little bit, like in Acts chapter two, but here we are just a few chapters later and things are coming off the rails a little bit, right? Like people are starting to grumble and complain. People are picking favorites between the Hebrews and the Hellenists and are they always uh, giving people their fair share of the resources and all this stuff? And suddenly there's, um, there's drama, which we probably never would experience in our church life, right? There's, there's drama, there's people there's, there's people sort of talking behind each other's back and giving other people preference over these people, and, 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 and so suddenly uh, we realize that um, when, we, when we say I want, I want to go back to the days of the early church, what I really mean is like the honeymoon period, like those few weeks when it all felt so good, and this is encouraging to me because it means there has, there has been a struggle to live out the life of the church from the very beginning, Read any of the letters of Paul. They are, they are all written to churches who are just a mess, an absolute mess. Um, and and I, I don't say that to like shame on anybody or shame on the church or put, any, put the church down because the church is the bride of Christ. We don't want to do that. But it's important for us to recognize that life, this story of God that we're living, life in the church, life in God's family is really, really really messy, and not in a cute way. It's not like, like hashtag messy, no makeup, girl, wash your face. It's like really, truly ugly sometimes. And I say that to point out that we have a need for the Spirit. In our life of the church, we do, we do not have the ability to live this story of God in the church well without the Spirit. So this dispute arises among the Hellenists, which are basically Greek-speaking Jews. So at this point, um, the message of Jesus has not gone beyond the Jewish people. It has not gone to the Gentiles. It has been focused on the people of God in Jerusalem, the the, the Jewish people, and and Jesus um, was presented as and and is fulfilling the prophecy of their Messiah, Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, right? So these Jewish folks are all looking for the Messiah. Many of them come to believe that Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. And there, of course, the Hebrew-speaking Jews, those who, who uh, we read about throughout the whole Old Testament and, and have this long history, but there were also this group of Jews who were from more of a Greek-centered culture, so these Greek-speaking Jews, and unfortunately, sometimes these two groups didn't always see eye to eye. Historically, they actually were very suspicious of one another. And so it seems that whoever was doing the distribution to those in need in the church, whoever was handing out the help to all those in need, the the widows, right? The people who who needed a little extra help, the daily distribution was preferencing the Hebrews over the Hellenists or the the Hebrew speaking Jews over the Greek speaking Jews because they were a little bit more suspicious of that group. So this is a problem. So people come to the apostles and they say, Hey, we need, we need to do something about this. And the apostles appoint or have the group appoint seven people who are going to oversee this distribution of resources. This is really interesting, it lists a bunch of names, but one person is really highlighted for us. All throughout chapter 6 and throughout chapter 7, one person is really highlighted, it's the person Stephen. The name Stephen appears in this text several times, and it says this about Stephen. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Spirit. He was described, really all we know about Stephen at this point is that he's full of faith and he's full, he's filled up with the Spirit. And so they appoint Stephen and these other gentlemen who are full of the Spirit to do the work of serving the orphans and widows in the community, of taking care of those who need help, of of taking care of the poor in their community, And this is really interesting because the apostles, what are they anointed to do? We just talked about this. The apostles are anointed to preach, to carry the message, to teach. And and these seven people are then appointed by the Spirit to serve, to carry food from door to door, to distribute resources. Now, just think about this for a second, okay? If you had to choose a spiritual gift between preaching and going door to door, carrying resources, which in like your deepest heart would you prefer? Like, let's say the spirit of God shows up in the room and he's like, I'm ready to hand out gifts of the spirit. I'm, re- I'm just, whatever you want, I've got your spiritual gifts right here. And he's like, you, you get prophecy. Yes. You're, you're going to speak in tongues. Yeah. I'm so excited. You're going to preach. Yes, this is awesome. You're going to have a healing ministry, healing people by the spirit of God. Yes, that's awesome. And then looks at one person and says, and you are going to bring food and resources to those in need. Would part of you feel a little bit like, wait, 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 I want one of the cool gifts. Like wait, I don't want I don't want the gift of the spirit to do like logistics and administration. Like I I want the gift of the spirit to like talk in front of people, to like like bring the word of God forward into the world. What, what do you mean like my, my spiritual gift is to serve? And it's really interesting because uh, so often when I, when I think of spiritual gifts or gifts of the spirit or the spirit at work, I think of things that are really visible and really intriguing and in some ways really entertaining to experience or to witness or to see or to, to feel within my own story, right? But uh, in this story, the spirit empowers people for a radically Unglamorous work. They are just handing out resources, taking care of daily, ordinary, everyday needs. They they are not on stage. They are not their pictures are not on the website. They they are taking care of very mundane ordinary needs. And this is really interesting for me to realize and to recognize because as a person who um, has always loved attention, I need to remember, it's helpful to remember, the spirit does not draw attention. The spirit famously, like if you look at, at the, like the, the theology of the spirit, pneumatology, like it's clear, like any, any theologian will tell you, the Spirit, uh, like doctrinally, famously, infamously, does not draw attention to itself, but is always pointing to Jesus. The Spirit's whole job in the world is to point to Jesus, point people to Jesus, point us to Jesus, make Jesus loom large. Similarly, the Spirit doesn't draw attention to itself, but the Spirit also does not draw attention to me which is really, really important for me to recognize because so often I think if I get attention, especially if it feels like good spiritual attention from other people, that must be the work of the Spirit. And, and the, the problem is that the Spirit actually draws attention not to me, not to itself, but to Jesus, and what Jesus is doing in the world. This is what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter five, the Sermon on the Mount. He said, when you do your good works before others, they will see your good deeds and they will glorify your father in heaven. Like they will see what you are doing in the spirit. They will see your good spiritual acts, your supernatural graces. They will see your behavior and instead of glorifying You, they will glorify your father in heaven. So when it says Stephen is full of the spirit to do the work of caring for the poor in their community, what it's saying is that Stephen has been anointed by the spirit to disappear into the background to serve humbly and lowly so that God may receive the glory. This is really uh, this is so important for me to conceive of and remember all the time because I'm so quick to forget the point. You guys know what the point of following Jesus is? You guys want to know the point? It's love. Jesus was super clear right? Um, The the important commands, the two most important commands, well, he's asked for one. What's the most important command, Jesus? And he says, oh, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But for Jesus, that's not separate from the second one he gives. He says the second command is like it. It's similar to the first, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' whole mission is love, which is important for me to remember because I can get caught up in the flash and the glamour, of the spirit moving. So this is what Paul addresses in 2 Corinthians 14, famously, right? He says, I can speak in the tongue of angels. I can have all prophecy, but if I have not love, I'm just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Stephen was anointed not to be upfront, not to receive honor and glory not to have big, flashy, exciting gifts. Stephen was anointed for the simple, humble work of love. And I really want to emphasize this because when we talk about life in the spirit, I don't think we often think about cooking food for your kids or cleaning the bathrooms. But I want you to know that that if if you are doing anything to serve another person, the Spirit wants to empower you to do that work not in your own strength, but in God's strength. Like, I, wa- I want you to know if you are, like, babysitting someone or changing a diaper, good luck, Hillary. Like, if you are doing something ordinary, simple, an act of blessing or service, the Spirit of God is with you to empower you to do that not in your strength, but in God's strength. So if you're studying for a test you can be empowered by the Spirit to study. If you are uh, listening to a friend on the phone as they tell you how their life is going, you can be listening empowered by the Spirit. Stephen is anointed for the simple, unglamorous acts of love and he is full of the Spirit. The other thing I'm really noticing here is, um, so I I grew up in a ministry family. My dad uh, planted a church. We moved uh, to to Oregon from Canada when I was a wee lad. And um, uh, for three decades, my dad's about to retire, for over three decades, he planted a church and pastored that church for a long, long time. So I I saw like church growth, church planting, uh, long-term pastoring. I grew up in a ministry family. Uh, I worked in full-time ministry for a long time. Um, and when I start to read some of the things happening in the book of Acts, my anxiety level goes up because I know, I know, what, it's, I know what it's like. Uh, so they experience this explosion of growth, which is so exciting, right? Wow, in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people come to believe Jesus all at once. And then it says God was adding to their numbers every day, those who were being saved. So exciting until they start to look around and they go, we are radically understaffed. By the way, every church you've ever been a part of, including Grace City, is radically understaffed. Love your pastor. I'm serious. Love your pastor. Uh, and uh, the, the work of that ministry can be like backbreaking and also soul-sucking especially when uh-oh not only are we understaffed we have so many people so many programs we're trying to keep in the air now we have people who are playing favorites and people who are calling for justice people who are saying what that, that that's happening and that's not fair and well this isn't right here's why i made that choice and there's, there's now they're fighting there are few things more disheartening to a church leader or a ministry leader of any kind than when you are serving, giving, pouring yourself out, just trying to keep the thing going, and then suddenly the relational drama hits, oh, as if I wasn't already depleted. It can absolute, like everything that's happening here is a textbook recipe for absolute burnout. Burnout. And burnout, when it comes to ministry, is really, really risky because when, we, uh, when our work is allied with our faith, sometimes burnout looks like losing your faith. <laughs> whether we do that like, openly and outright or whether we just sort of lose heart and trust in Jesus somewhere deep inside. And, and I, I'm like, how, how are these apostles, how are these leaders Ever going to make it through this explosion of of their congregation, this this way understaffed and under-resourced ministry, and now this like relational infighting. How are they ever going to make it through this without absolutely losing heart? And yet, we read in the very next verse where we stopped, verse 7, and the word of the Lord continued to increase. The numbers of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So, like, far from the ministry now being like on its last legs, far from it being crippled, far from there being a a, 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 like like something that's uh, causing this this whole thing to sort of implode on itself. Actually, um, it's increasing and it's thriving, and great things are being done among the people. See, if I if I were in this room and they were like, we need to anoint seven people to do this really really difficult, tricky logistical work. where we make sure everything is super fair to actually go into people's homes where they're already kind of upset and try to help them and like serve them well. like All these tricky situations that these seven dudes are gonna be walking into and if they're asking for volunteers, I'm like, oh, I gotta go to the bathroom. I'm, I'll be back later, right? Like I'm, I'm out of there as fast as I can because I know how, how hard and how costly and how draining that kind of ministry will become. And yet, says Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. He was, he was full of grace. He was full of the Spirit's power. See, the Spirit doesn't just empower us to do the unglamorous work of love. The Spirit also empowers us through supernatural strength to serve. The Spirit gives us supernatural strength to serve. The Bible talks about serving a lot. It talks about sacrificially serving, like like giving of ourselves. Um, And when it does that, it always reminds us that we actually don't serve in our strength. We serve in the strength of the Spirit. So the book of 1 Peter chapter 4 says, when you serve, serve in the strength God provides. Which is a really important distinction, right? Because if I serve in my own strength, I run out like that. Right, I, I I get burnout like that. See, I think this is, this is super important because um, we we uh, we live in this world that uh, is a, sometimes a little bit afraid to give. It's like we have this limited resource, right? Like I have only so much love, only so much time, only so much attention, only so much care, only so much emotional uh, capacity right now, and, and and I see a need, but I'm actually like. Pretty scared to give because what if like I don't have enough? This is where okay, whew, here we go. I told Simon I was going to get controversial. Here it is. This is where the self care industry comes from. Now before before you burn the building down. Um, I don't care if you want to talk about self-care. I don't really care what language we use, but let's just, let's just, let's just take a look at what the Bible says about the care of our souls, okay? So, um, so it's, it's, it's really clear that the care of our souls is really important to Jesus. Like, that's obvious to the scriptures. Like he says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. Psalm 23 says, he restores my soul. So that's, that's really important to Jesus. But this whole idea of self-care, begins to give us this like, picture in our minds that, okay, um, the care that I need is provided by my own limited resources. So if I find myself depleted, I need to guard whatever resources I have left, emotional resources, time resources, whatever resources I have left, and do what is in my power to begin to replenish those resources. And we actually become like spiritual hoarders. We become very stingy with our energy, time, affection, love, right? The scriptures give us a different vision of of care. The the scriptures actually tell us um, Jesus is our good shepherd and and care for our souls looks like not self-care but coming under the care of our shepherd. You guys heard of self, uh, self-care calendars? You guys heard of these? It's like every day it gives you like a self-care task to do to like take care of yourself. And that's fine. If, that's, if you're into that, totally fine. But I would just invite you to like bring Jesus along for that ride. When I uh, worked at Trout Creek Bible Camp years ago, um, uh, we would produce these things. I, got, I, got, I was like, self-care? What is self-care? Like, can you really take care of yourself? So um, somebody was like, well, you know what? You should make, a, instead of a self-care calendar, you should make like something like your version of it, I was like, so I'm going to make a God care calendar. So I made this calendar of like things we can do every day to put ourselves under the care of our good Shepherd. Because here's here's the thing, my resources run out at like 10 a.m. That's like right when I have to get up here and preach. It's a big problem. J- Jesus' resources never run out. The scriptures say that he is rich in mercy. It means however much of his mercy I spend, he's always got more. I don't have to worry. Will I have enough if I am in the spirit? In fact, you know you don't know the first time Jesus promises the spirit to somebody? It's in John chapter four. He's meeting this woman, this Samaritan woman at the well. She's got a really dodgy past. She's not the person he should be talking to. And he offers her something called living water. And she's like, well, I'm always thirsty every day. And I always have to come here and draw water. So if you had some kind of living water that maybe I wouldn't be so thirsty anymore, right? And he says, listen, if you drink this water from this well, Uh, then you will be thirsty again. Obviously, that's how biology works. But whoever drinks the water, I will give them this living water. It will become in them a spring of life, welling up to eternal life. Here's the thing. So often, the demands on my time, my emotional energy, my mental energy, my physical energy, the demands to live well and serve Jesus in the world are way higher than my actual energy for life. You know what I need? I need eternal life. I need a kind of life welling up inside of me that does not run out, that has no end, that actually just like bubbles up from some deep resource within my being and continues to flow over so that as I'm serving and offering people cups of water, I'm offering people the, the overflow of this thing that is welling up in me eternally. Y'all, Jesus is offering this woman the Spirit of God whose resources for life, eternal life, do not run out. I need some resources for life that do not run out. Because the, the older I get and the more responsibilities I am given, which by the way, if you serve Jesus well, your reward is usually to have a higher level of responsibility and more things to potentially worry about, right? And Jesus, when he offers us responsibility or a need to meet or someone to serve or something to do or a way to pour ourselves out, he does not do so without also providing the unending source of life for us to draw from, drink from. It's the river of life. So I, I would just say, Stephen, I would suggest that Stephen is able to do all this work in this really tricky and, and fra- uh, like fractured community because he is not necessarily practicing self-care, but he is living under the care of his good shepherd. And, and if you're like, well, Ben, when I, when I sit down and pray and I put myself under Jesus' care, I would call that self-care. Great. I don't care what you call it. The point is that I don't have what I need. I therefore need the Spirit. And by the way, mm, mm, can I get even more controversial? The Spirit of God and the love that he um, wants to give the world through me. Spirit of God does not know anything about boundaries. The Spirit of God loves, serves, gives in all times to all people in all ways. And if I am living by the Spirit, my boundaries might be important but are never an excuse not to love. Because Peter tells us in one of his letters in the New Testament that God has given, freely given, everything I need for life and godliness, everything. Like I I think he means everything. Like he's given us all the resources we could possibly need. So when I get that call, somebody in crisis, and I'm tempted to ignore it or to respond with like, so sorry, I just don't have the capacity right now, or whether I'm, this is a big one, right? Whether I want to just respond and be like, well, I'll try to remember to pray for you, or like pray, praying for you, prayer hands, right? Like when I want to respond that way, the Spirit of God within me is offering me another choice, like is offering me such a deep, unending well of love that I can actually get on the phone. I can actually go see the person. I can actually do the work of bringing God's kingdom into this world. In short, I can become the answer to my own prayer hands, right? Which is which is a radical way of thinking. The the book of James. James is by the way one of the apostles. That's part of all this. The book of James. He says, if you see a brother or sister in need of clothes, clothes or food, and you say, "Hey, be well fed and be warmly dressed," but you don't actually do anything to help them, then you have actually not loved them. He's like super explicit about it, and it's like, ooh, yikes! Because all the time when I here, a need, I'm like, hey, I'll be praying for you. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't have time or energy to deal with this right now, but I'll be praying for you, prayer hands, right? When, when the spirit of God wants to love, like do the verb of love through me, and I don't want to get involved, I know what it'll cost me, I'm already so tired, the Spirit wells up within me to say, you do have resources. They're not of this world. They're supernatural resources to love, to serve, to give. Now hear me out well. I am not inviting us to throw caution to the wind and burn ourselves out and sign up for every ministry. If you know me, you know that is not my jam. Like, I just think that's a terrible idea. What I am inviting us to think about is how might my serving, loving, and showing up for others be different if I recognize that my resources are a drop in the bucket, but the Holy Spirit is a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. And how might my showing up and serving other people in my life, my, my husband, my wife, my kids, my grandma, my grandpa, my parents, my, anybody who walks into my life, how might it look different if I begin to draw on the unending life of the Spirit of God within me, within me. So the Spirit anoints Stephen to do the unglamorous work of love, quiet, humble work of love, And and anoints Stephen and these other guys with supernatural strength to serve beyond their own ability. And then, um, as often happens in some of our best ministry efforts, things um, are not the way we'd like them to be. Uh, people don't just come and go, thank you so much, this was so great, and oh, yeah, look, we did it. We've, we, we found utopia, guys. Like, like We just had to organize things a little differently, and suddenly our church looks like paradise. Awesome. Because if it's not issues rising up within the church, it's pressures from outside the church. So Stephen does everything right. He cares for the poor. He obeys all the rules, and yet... Watch what happens in verse 9. Some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen and the Alexandrians, those from Sicilia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. Verse 10. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said... We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. And on and on and on it goes. Stephen gets arrested and falsely accused. The dude was just loving people. Like he was just living out the life of the Spirit, humbly serving others, quietly serving others. He was just having a supernatural energy from God pouring through him to love and bless and heal the people around him. He was doing nothing wrong, and he gets arrested and falsely accused. And here's the deal. I've never been arrested and falsely accused, but I have sometimes had it it seem like my best efforts of love and service did not pan out the way I wanted them to. And you know what happens to me when when I've experienced that? I crumble. I cry, which is fine. Crying is good for you. And I usually go complain to Simon. I do. I'm like, Simon, can we go on a walk, and I'm going to tell you all the complaints I have about everything and everybody. And he very patiently listens. Thank you, Simon. I love you. And uh, and and then I sort of maybe take a step back from like serving and loving and engaging so much, and slowly sort of re-enter. I get burnt out. I get hurt. Stephen has this very different response. Just check this out for a second. Verse fifteen. And gazing at him, this guy they've just arrested, gazing at Stephen, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. He was shining like a light bulb. He had just poured himself out through the power of the spirit in love, in service, not taking the spotlight, not grabbing the microphone, being humble, being in the background and disaster struck. And far from crumbling, he stood there radiating the glory of God. God. The Spirit anointed Stephen to do the unglamorous work of love. The Spirit gave him supernatural strength to do that love far beyond his own capacity. And the Spirit provided him with otherworldly resilience. A kind of resilience that you look at and you're like, dude's on fire. Like there's something else shining out of this man. There's a a power, a glory, a brilliance, a light coming out of his face. When we look at him, it looks like the people of heaven. It looks like the angels. It's incredible the way he's able to stand there and far from crumbling, far from complaining, far from feeling bad for himself, he radiates the glory of God. It's like everybody else around him is freaking out and Stephen's fine. Stephen is standing strong in the spirit. Stephen is cared for by his good shepherd who has promised in John 15 and 16 to come take up residence in his own soul. Like Jesus, the the, the caretaker of my soul, is in me. He's, He's in me. Paul says the power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in me. So Stephen faces all kinds of opposition and even the threat of death and he shines like an angel. This reminds me of a book I started reading this week. Um, If you haven't checked out the book Resilient by John Eldridge, highly recommend. But he tells this story of St. John of the Cross. Anyone know St. John of the Cross? He wrote wrote a famous book called The Dark Night of the Soul, but he was also a famous medieval spiritual poet. He's a mystic poet who wrote these beautiful ballads of love for God. And I learned this story from John Eldridge's book this week, that when St. John of the cross was writing in the in the Middle Ages was writing these ballads of love and praise and glory to God and they're gorgeous they're like they're like they'll make you weep they're just these ballads of praise to God. When he was writing those, he had been arrested by the church for trying to reform the Carmelite order of monastics. He'd been arrested by the church and put in a cell that was so small he couldn't stand up or stretch out in any direction. He was stuck in it for two years with no place to go to the bathroom, but right there on the floor. He was regularly taken out and beaten to the point where he was permanently crippled. And in that place, it's not that we'd say, oh, it's not that bad because God was with him. That's not the point at all. It's horrific. It's awful. It's, it, with The things you might be facing, the things Stephen is facing, horrific, awful. God is not... Uh, the person persecuting you. God is not supporting your persecutors. But in the midst of this darkness and this evil and this pain and this opposition and this absolute catastrophe, St. John of the Cross had this inner resilience, this spirit of God, this living water welling up to eternal life and overflowing in praise. He was fine. Like, like he, he was in pain. He was, in, he was struggling. But internally, his soul was well. The good shepherd was there taking care, offering care and resilience, offering healing, offering love. The spirit offers us otherworldly resilience. And this is so important because I have to be honest with you guys. Right now in my life, has probably a lot to do with the world we've been living in the last few years. Also, just with like personal things in my own life. But right now in my life, probably once a day, I go, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can make it. The demands are too high. The responsibilities are too heavy. The spiritual needs around me and in my own soul are too great. And, and in those moments, um, if I try to dig deep and look for something in myself, if I try to like practice self-care and offer myself the resources I need, um, it is a hopeless, hopeless exercise. But if I can lift my eyes a little bit and say, I don't know if I can make it, but there is one who lives in me who survived death. There is one who lives in me whose power does not end, whose mercy is rich and abundant. There is one who lives in me who wells up like living water, welling up to eternal life. And if I can remember that, then I start to look around and I go, I don't know if I can make it. But Jesus can. Jesus can. And he now flows through me. His blood is in my veins. His spirit is in my body. It's like Paul said, for me to live is Christ. It is Christ's life pouring through me that enables me to get through two hours of any given day, let alone years upon years upon years upon years in this world. Because can we be honest? The story of Stephen is not unique. We all face things that are beyond our control, that are painful, difficult, ugly unfair unjust can we be honest and just remember like this world is not utopia this this world is not the kingdom come this world is carrying our cross but we're not alone <laughs> Like we are on the road with the cross on our back with one who has carried it already. He knows the way, he has the strength. And if I can just turn into him, lean into him, rest in him, draw from his resources, I will be shocked at how much I'm able to serve, at how humble I'm able to be and at how resilient I can find myself even when life is crashing down around me. The worship team can come on up. I'll I'll end with this. The Apostle Paul is a dude in the Bible who um, pro- probably suffered for the gospel, p- potentially suffered for the gospel more more than anybody else. He he, uh, he gives us a list at one point of all the things he suffered, you know, like 30 lashes or 40 lashes minus one, 39 lashes, multiple times. There was a time he was stoned with rocks uh, and they thought he, they had killed him. So they drug him outside the city and left him to die or left him to i don't know be dead and uh and he was still alive and so he had to like lay there until he could like get up it, you just you listen he's shipwrecked and just abandoned and starved and uh, it's crazy the kind of hardship this man is going through he's persecuted arrested like falsely accused it's incredible and you know what he says In 2 Corinthians chapter four, he says, listen, listen, listen. I have a power from God, the spirit power from God. He says, you you know where that spirit lives? It lives in this cracked and fragile jar of clay. He describes his life and his being and his soul as this really fragile clay jar. And he says, "This, this is important because this shows that the all surpassing power is from God and not from us. That's how he puts it. The all-surpassing power. What, what things in the world and in your life do you not have the energy, power, resources to tackle? There is an all-surpassing power. And you and I are just these fragile jars of clay in which that all-surpassing power is chosen to dwell and when I begin to see my life that way, it imbues in me a kind of resilience I did not know existed. And it is not from me, it is, I'm just the jar of clay. This all-surpassing power is from God and not from ourselves. I think this is the kind of spirit, when it says, when it says Stephen is full of the spirit, there's a lot of things we can be full of. I heard a pop star recently uh, saying that we, we all need to be full of ourselves. That's like, be full of yourself. If you're not full of yourself, what are you full of? Okay, but what about being full of the Spirit? These men are full of the Spirit. Stephen is full of the Spirit. Verse 8, Stephen, full of grace and power from the Spirit. We're going to take communion in a second. Kind of an abrupt transition, but not really. Because what I'm remembering this morning is that our whole life of faith with Jesus is one of receiving. I mean our whole life of faith. Every time I repent, every time I grow, every time I read my Bible, I am receiving the grace of God to be able to do that thing. My whole life with Jesus is one of receiving. I do nothing apart from him. And boy, do I need to receive. Oh, talk about a need for eternal life. Talk about a need for the spirit of God welling up within me. Talk about a need for resilience. And at the communion table, I remember that I bring nothing. Nothing is required. I just get to receive. Jesus said, this is my body. This bread is my body, broken for you. It's yours. You don't have to do anything. Take it and eat. This this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for the sins of the world. You, you, you don't need to pay for it. You don't need to find a way to make up for it. It's poured out. So if you need some like supernatural strength from Jesus to love humbly to serve and show up for people beyond your own ability and capacity. If you need some supernatural strength from the Spirit to be resilient as life is crumbling around you, come to the table and receive. Nothing, nothing is required but the willingness to receive the free gift of God in Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you. For reminding us um, how subtle and humble your spirit is. Holy Spirit, imbue us with that kind of humility to serve in the ordinary, everyday things. Jesus, thank you for reminding us that your spirit gives us resources and capacity beyond our own, beyond our own capacity. Spirit, would you flood us with your living water that we could find ourselves surprised at how deeply and fully we are able to love those around us. Jesus, thank you for reminding us that when the pressures of life are too much, the the resources to stand strong, to be well in our soul, are already ours. Holy Spirit, which you imbue us with that kind of resilience. We come to you now, Jesus, recognizing how weak we are, but how generous you are. We just receive your life. We receive your body. We receive your blood and your grace, which never runs out. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Uh, the tables are open. Gluten-free is on this side if you need it.